Hello and welcome to Ripple Effect. I have one little housekeeping matter before we dive into our interview today. We've been getting some great traction here on the podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please do leave us a review and a rating on your podcast server of choice. We are trying to get the name out there. And so if you could give us just a brief hello and a five-star review, that would be amazing. Okay, but back to the business at hand. I'm very excited for today's episode because the issue of PFAS is something that we've yet to talk about on this podcast. And I thought that this was a really interesting intersection of PFAS and turf grass. And so I have with me Chelsea Benjamin, who is a water policy fellow at Western Research Advocates. And she and her team just did a really interesting paper that I found out about on LinkedIn. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about PFAS in general, but also kind of like in a very specific application, because I think that kind of helps us wrap our brains around kind of what is happening. So with that, Chelsea, can you give us a little bit of a background of kind of who you are and how you came to your role at Western Resources? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a water policy fellow at Western Resource Advocates, and we're a nonprofit advocacy organization that works across the West. I'm mainly based in Colorado, but also get to work in Utah. So I'm really excited to be on your show today and talk a little bit about that. And I came to my role at Western Resource Advocates pretty much once I began my studies in environmental policy. I I started to become really interested in water in the West. I come from Florida originally, so it's kind of the opposite situation out here in the West. And I became really fascinated with everything related to water out here, especially issues of water quantity, learned some things about PFAS along the way. So that'll be great to talk about today as well. And before I started at Western Resource Advocates, I worked with NIDIS, the National Integrated Drought Information System, which is part of NOAA, on some projects related to water and land use integration and got to interview some folks all across the West about their attitude towards drought and their drought information needs. So it's been really exciting to continue on in the water space at Western Resource Advocates. And we do some pretty cool work around water conservation. So I helped our team out by writing this report on artificial turf. We get asked a lot about is artificial turf a good idea? Will it help me save water? And in this report, I really dove into those topics and it was quite fun to write. Yeah, for sure. And I think it'd be really fun to work for NIDIS. I think maybe we'll yeah. have to have a conversation afterwards too. It's just, you know, you and I were just chatting before we started recording. It's just been so funny because the last couple of years have just been drought, drought, drought. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh my goodness, flooding, flooding, flooding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Opposites. Yeah. stream out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that is climate disruption. So yeah. we will see. Okay. That's a really great introduction, Chelsea, because at first, I, you know, when I read the report on LinkedIn, I immediately just kind of went to like sports fields because, you know, mm-hmm. we have teenagers in the household and, you know, they play on artificial turf. But I think that like it, it didn't quite dawn on me when I first read it, like a large part of the conservation question, too, is, you know, not just like 
water-wise landscaping or, or you know, water-wise plants, but, you know, the question of is artificial turf a good option for me? And so can you kind mm-hmm. of explain about like how this project kind of first came across your desk and how this particular component of conservation became kind of an issue of greater inquiry for you? Sure, yeah. My team mainly works on finding solutions for water efficiency for communities across the West. And we're often asked, what's the best solution for me to replace my turf? Because people are really interested in that lately all across the West. It's a big issue in Colorado. It's a growing issue in Utah. And some people really love the look of a lawn and want to keep it. So people have really been questioning, is artificial turf the right way to go? Or are there better alternatives? So my team has kind of been a big proponent of water-wise landscapes, but really wanted to check what are the benefits of artificial turf and what are the drawbacks. And I can talk a bit more about it, but I found quite a bit of drawbacks and some surprising results that even I wasn't that aware of. Awesome. Beforehand. So before we kind of get into, you know, the findings of the report, you know, just like very quickly, it seems pretty obvious from the term, but like artificial turf, when people are looking at artificial turf, you know, what, like, what is, what are the options they're looking at? Like, you know, what is the universe of artificial turf look like? Because in my mind, I just kind of like immediately go to like sports fields, you know, because that's my context with it. But like, Mm -hmm. what is the world of artificial turf really look like from a lawn replacement conservation measure? Sure. Yeah, I, you're totally right. It's mainly a large part of the industry is athletic fields. That's the major use of artificial turf. But there is a growing market for people to replace either their front lawn or their back lawn with artificial turf that looks like like a nice green lawn. And that technology has really been improving over time. So you might think of like a sports field type of look, but it's really been improving and has been able to mimic the look of natural turf lawn pretty well in recent years. So some people might use it just to create a little patch for their dog or their kids to play on in their yard. Other people might replace the entire thing with artificial turf. So it's really a growing industry lately. I think I found in, in my research that the Western United States specifically accounts for about 24% of the artificial turf market in the U.S. So it's definitely growing and, and becoming a big deal out here. And so what is typically an artificial turf like made out of? What is it, you know, what is it actually composed of? Like, what is it, you know, what are the elements that make up? Is it composite? Is it grass or is it plastic? Is it, you know, nylon? You know, what, what is it made out of? Yeah, it's mostly plastic, plastic sheet with plastic turf grass blades that poke out of it. There are also layers that you can put underneath to stabilize the artificial turf itself. And then there's also options to stabilize the turf grass blades. This is mostly on artificial on athletic fields, people will put in crumb rubber infill to stabilize and make it a smooth playing surface. But people also choose different types of infill materials to change the look of their lawn or to mitigate having their pet use it as a bathroom 
And then there's also cooling types of infill. So it can look a bit different depending on, on your choice. Okay. So lots of applications, different looks, mm-hmm. different ways in kind of materials, you know, to layer. But typically we're talking about the layering of different kinds of plastics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And they can look they can look pretty natural and they can even go all the way to like neon colors or or flashier things. So there's a big, big array of options in artificial turf. So then what did you, let's just dive right into your port. So this is, you know, becoming an increasingly popular option, both on the kind of industrial recreational side and then also on the personal side, you know, in looking at this as one of the many choices people have for traditional turf replacement, what did you guys find? Like, I'm super, I mean, I think we're going to yeah. get to some of it, but like, I'm just <laughs> curious in general. <laughs> yeah. So I really went in with an open mind to this research and found a lot of different findings related to water impacts, temperature impacts, what kind of life cycle analysis turf has. So what kind of materials go into it? What kind of materials come out of it? Are they recycled? Are they sent to the landfill? I found materials about PFAS contamination, about chemicals in turf, about the plastic components of the turf and how that can break down into microplastics. And also some impacts from pet waste on artificial turf lawns and dove into some cost comparisons between artificial turf, natural lawns. And I did a little bit of research as well on water-wise landscapes, but didn't quite include that in this report. Okay. Wow. Okay. So yeah. you covered a lot. So <laughs> yeah, I did. Got, you know, kind of the most, probably like the most basic one, we've got water conservation, you looked at temperature, life cycle questions. I definitely want to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. We talked about kind of like contamination, both from chemicals and microplastics, pet waste, and then cost comparisons. Yeah. Why don't we just kind of start checking our way down that list then, you know? Sure starting at the top with kind of probably the one that comes to most people's mind, like what did you find from like a water conservation standpoint of replacing traditional turf with an artificial turf alternative? Yeah. Yeah. I found this section to be quite the most interesting as well. Before I came to this research, I kind of had a preconceived notion that artificial turf would completely take care of water. It would cut water use a hundred percent. That was my initial thought. And once I dove into it, I found that typically, while there can be large water savings, it's only 70% water savings that are really seen. And water is still used on artificial turf for maintenance. It can also be used for bringing the heat on a really hot day. Artificial turf will warm up sometimes to 80 degrees hotter than the ambient air temperature. So you can water. The artificial turf to bring that temperature down. That was super surprising to me and means that on an athletic field, you might need as much water as you would have used to irrigate a natural grass field in order to cool it down. And that only lasts a couple of minutes. That was quite surprising to me. And not but, small spaces. Those are not small lawns. The If you're using no. it to cool an entire, you know, art, you know, one field, let alone an entire complex that might have five or eight or six or 10 soccer fields. That's a lot of water. 
It, yeah, it's a lot of water. And unfortunately, that cooling effect only lasts a couple of minutes before the temperatures spike back up. So some sports fields have attempted to solve that by installing misters, which just continually lays down water during a sports game as uh, cool it down, which I, I thought was a bit ironic because a lot of this is to save water. And, and I think sometimes the, the water savings are not as not as impressive when you take that stuff into account. Yeah, especially because we're anticipated to have higher and hotter summers, higher temperatures and hotter summers. Okay. Exactly. So did you say eight degrees hotter or 80 degrees hotter in places? 80 degrees hotter. Okay, eight zero. Eight zero. So that might also have like a public health aspect of it too. I mean, if we're already talking about heat stroke on hot summer days for kids Mm -hmm. practicing, like did you look at that element at all of it? Yeah, I did touch on that a little bit. In the temperature impact section, I found that, yeah, it comes with an increased risk to children and adults who are playing on the artificial turf. Especially children are more susceptible to adults to than adults to turf burns or heat heat stroke. So it's a it's a big issue actually, hmm. if you can't get it cool enough. Which would necessitate the misters, which necessitates, mm-hmm. you know, more water. Yeah. <laughs> More and more water. Yeah, that was really surprising to me. One more thing that I found in the related to water is that artificial turf can actually hinder groundwater recharge, which is a bit of a problem in some areas. I know that there are some communities around the Great Salt Lake that have a lot of groundwater resources and cities in California as well found that they initially incentivized the replacement of turf with artificial turf in some of their rebate programs and then changed that because they realized that it was increasing stormwater that just flushed out to sea rather than allowing stormwater to soak into the ground and and recharge their groundwater. Hmm. So that's another unintended consequence. And that makes total sense when you think about it. If you're lining large surface areas with plastic, you're probably not allowing for the groundwater infiltration that you would normally have had. Yeah, exactly. Interesting, especially probably because so many, I always think of parks as doing the, the double duty of often being retention basins, you know, mm-hmm. for like flood events or depressions and, you know, how they have the kind of bio swells often in parks and yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it is. So that's kind of, so it seems like kind of water savings and temperature are kind of like an intrinsically linked component of turf grass, uh, of Mm -hmm. artificial turf, which makes total sense when you think about it. What did you find about the life cycle of of this, of of these products? Because that to me is something that would be, I hadn't really thought about that before you mentioned it, Mm -hmm. but like that would also, you know, be a pretty interesting line of inquiry. So like, what were your findings about how it's made, how it's disposed of? you know, kind of those, those elements. Yeah, this actually was what I found the most exciting about this research because there's a couple components to it. On the one hand, artificial turf provides a really great recycling benefit for the automobile tire industry. In the 1990s, the U.S. had automobile tires just kind of disposed of everywhere or creating fire hazards or pest problems in landfills. 
And in the early 2000s, artificial turf started to be created and started to recycle tire rubber from cars into little pellets called infill that they distributed to keep the turf grass blades sticking up and looking like natural grass on artificial turf fields. So it provides this recycling benefit for the automobile tire industry and currently recycles one twelfth of all disposed automobile tires each year. Wow. One twelfth? Yeah. One twelfth of all automobile tires because artificial turf is mainly used on athletic fields and a full size field can use 20 to 40,000 used tires as little crumb rubber infill pellets. So it provides a good benefit in that sense. But <laughs> there's a lot more to its life cycle impacts than, than that side. Artificial turf has a lifespan of about eight to 10 years before you either can't use an athletic field anymore or before a residential lawn starts to look a little bit faded and off. Mm-hmm. So, so these artificial turf fields and lawns have to be disposed of. And currently there's no great recycling solution for them, which really surprised me because I think we all have gotten used to, oh, plas- it's plastic. So plastic is recyclable. But um, because artificial turf is made up of so many different layers and so many different intricate components that are melded together to make the turf surface, it's actually really hard to separate it apart and turn it into new materials or melt it down and turn it into new plastic. So the artificial turf has been claiming for years that they are recycling it, that it is recyclable. But in 2019, around 2019, a couple of investigative journalists in the U.S. and in the Netherlands found that artificial turf is just building up in these huge stacks all over the world. (laughs) And one documentary, I think I linked it in the report. If people are curious, it's a really great watch. There was a documentary that came out of the Netherlands. and the Netherlands requires artificial turf to be recycled. So there are a couple companies in the Netherlands that claim to be artificial turf recyclers and companies pay them to pick up the turf and take it away and recycle it, quote unquote. But this documentary found that these companies are actually just building up huge stacks of turf in cities that have very lax regulations and aren't holding them accountable for it. So a lot of them are saying, oh, well, we're building our facilities, so we're just storing this turf until we have them ready. But they found that they're creating these mountains of turf and mountains of infill and sand that they don't do anything with. Mountains of impermeable surfaces, too. Yeah, mountains of impermeable surfaces, mountains of tiny rubber pellets. It's it's a lot to think about. And then in the United States, it's not quite the same because we don't actually have any regulations whatsoever that tell you what to do with artificial turf at the end of its life. So the majority of people send it to the landfill, but 
disposal fees can be very expensive. So entrepreneurs have been opening up their lands that don't have anything on them, charging a small fee, accepting the turf, and creating similar piles of turf in the U.S. Or if people don't go that route, they might actually just illegally dump it. And they've found huge stacks of turf in mountain areas or forests in Virginia. And in some places, it's becoming a really big deal and creating fire hazards. There was one pile of turf in Pennsylvania that just caught fire, just like the stacks of automobile tires used to catch fire in the 1990s. So I found it a bit ironic that it's kind of come full circle in that way. The benefits that artificial turf creates by recycling actually are short-lived because they end up having the same problem in the end and actually kind of creating a new problem because the layers of plastic are really hard to recycle. And right now there's only one artificial turf field recycler in Denmark. And they've, they've developed a process to break down the components and create new fields, but they're still in the process of expanding. So all the fields in the U.S. have nowhere to be recycled unless you ship them over the ocean to Denmark. And it's just a big growing problem all over the world. Uh, tiramisu of terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big yeah. mountains of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's fascinating. It's, it's a really by recycling the tires, it really is just kicking the can down the road. It's not really actually exactly. a solution to the tire problem here in the U.S. either. And that's a lot of tires, 20,000 to 40,000 tires per field. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a lot of tires. So. Yeah. Okay. That's that's actually really interesting about the life cycle. And I and in embedded in this conversation are some cost comparison questions that I mm-hmm. want to maybe get to when we talk about that. But I did I had some kind of cost questions too, because sure, you know, eight an eight to ten year an eight to ten year lifespan is really not that long. I mean, you think about that. Like if you're if you have a kid in sports, that's like in the length of time your kid's gonna be in sports, that's two fields, you know. Yeah, like that that's not that long. Oh, life. I'm actually kind of surprised it's that low in that that the choice is being made. That's a pretty hefty capital investment to be making every decade. If you have a, mm-hmm. you know, like a city has a large amount of artificial turf, how much does it cost per square foot for something like this? Like, what does that cost look like? You know, for a for a city to do a, a, an artificial turf field? Yeah, it it varies. There are ways to bring the cost down and ways to bring it up. And some estimates run cost per square foot at $4.50 to $10.25. And compared to like a natural grass lawn or a natural grass athletic field, that can range from $0.60 per square foot to $5 per square foot. So quite a big price difference. So even at the high end of a natural grass field, you are at the low end of an artificial turf field. Yes. Okay. And you have to replace the artificial turf field every eight to 10 years. Yes. And some athletic facilities actually choose to do it sooner because they think it has better playability if they, if they replace it every four years or so. So can really add up. Okay. Well, I think that maybe leads us to like the next one of your bullet points of, of your report, which is the 
the physical impacts of outside mm -hmm. the life cycle questions about the physical impacts of, of this artificial turf you had mentioned both pollutant concerns as well as microplastics you want to talk about pollutants first and then we can talk sure. about microplastics okay. sure so i did find in my research some benefits in terms of chemical usage for artificial turf it eliminates the needs for pesticides for herbicides and fertilizers that are traditionally used to maintain a lawn or a sports field however the artificial turf itself and the infill that you might choose to put in to stabilize the field or the lawn contains many chemicals of concern the majority of the chemicals that have been found inside of artificial turf so far are mainly in the crumb rubber infill that is made out of recycled automobile tires, like I mentioned earlier. There have been a lot of studies around the impacts of the chemicals in the crumb rubber infill, and it has been found to contain 197 different carcinogenic chemicals. Okay, just a few. Okay. Just a couple. Yeah. <laughs> and... One of those chemicals is VOCs, which has been very clearly linked to respiratory issues and the development of cancer. And that's definitely an issue for people playing, playing on an artificial turf field or playing on an artificial turf lawn because those chemicals will aerosolize and you'll actually breathe them in while you're on the artificial turf. And can I ask you a question right there? So with these VOCs creating respiratory issues, which are, are linked to causing cancer, also having those fields heated to 80 degrees above regular surface, mm -hmm. does does the, the heat contribute to that as well as releasing additional VOCs? Yeah, I think that is why they say that that's the reason why they aerosolize because it heats up so much and then releases those chemicals. I think if it's not quite so hot, that's not as much of an issue. And there have been different studies saying different things about the chemical impacts, but there have been enough links to these chemicals that it definitely raises concern. And then the title of your report explicitly calls out PFAS. And that was kind of like one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about here, because we, yeah. you know, I intend to do a PFAS podcast at some point in time, but for, you know, this is a, a relatively newer chemical in, this, in, in the public awareness. You know, a lot of people have heard of VOCs, you know, with VOC paint stuff, you know, like, you know, that's something that's probably a little bit more in the public parlance. Most listeners to this podcast probably are familiar with PFAS, but before we kind of talk about the implications of it with turf, could you just give like a very basic kind of overview of kind of like what PFAS are and kind of why it's of such concern? Sure. Yeah, PFAS chemicals are also known as forever chemicals, and that's because they don't break down under normal environmental conditions, and they can last in the environment for longer than any of our lifespans. They can last for hundreds of years or maybe even longer. We're not entirely sure. And PFAS have been linked to negative health effects in both humans and wildlife, mainly they're of concern because they can bioaccumulate in human tissues and you can't really remove them. Once you have some level of PFAS contamination, that's the level that you have. So 
unfortunately, that can lead to effects like lowered immunity, decreased fertility, cardiovascular problems, and can also contribute to the development of cancers. Buffy of good options. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And so what are you finding then in terms of now kind of understanding what PFAS are, what, what is the relationship between PFAS and artificial turf? PFAS has been found in artificial turf and become an increasing issue around it because PFAS chemicals are used in the manufacturing process. So they're used to lubricate the machine that separates the artificial turf blades themselves. And once they're on there, they kind of coat the blades And when exposed to heat and light, they can break down once the artificial turf is installed and leach out into the water and leach out into the environment. So it's an increasing issue that communities are becoming aware of. For example, in the Northeast, in Massachusetts and in New Hampshire, it's become an issue of increasing awareness around artificial turf athletic fields. And some communities have tried to purchase artificial turf fields without PFAS and went through with the the purchasing process. And out of curiosity, they did their own study after they received the turf. They sent the turf off to a lab to analyze the PFAS levels to make sure that they weren't there. And it came back that they did contain PFAS chemicals after all. And the company's reasons why that was okay is because the levels were below a set limit that something like the EPA had set as a maximum standard for PFAS exposure. But PFAS studies are really still evolving and and we're still learning about them all the time. And recently the EPA concluded that no amount of PFAS chemicals are safe in our drinking water. And If you have artificial turf laid down in a sports field setting or on your lawn, components of that field or lawn are going to get into the waterways. Mm -hmm. So it's an increasing concern for sure. Especially if they're on the blades, it seems like that's the element, you know, if you've got kind of like this layered lasagna plastics, you know, then like the blades are the ones that are going to be absolutely the most subjected to all those elements, all that heat, all that sun, all that rain. Yeah. Exactly. And they break off themselves and migrate all over the place. So it's of increasing concern for sure. Well, I think you just kind of led to our next issue about pollutants is, is microplastics. Like what kind of microplastic impact do these turf fields have? Yeah, I, I found this really interesting in my research. There have not been too many studies about this so far, but there was one really interesting one that came out of Norway And a person had done this for a graduate study to measure how much microplastic was coming off of the athletic turf, the artificial athletic turf fields in their town. And the researcher went out and took samples in water bodies downstream from artificial turf fields and in water bodies upstream from artificial turf fields and found crumb rubber infill pieces, which it break down to smaller and smaller pieces as they go out into the world and migrate away from the turf fields. And 
This study found that there were pieces, microplastic pieces, in 85% of the samples taken downstream and in 42% of samples taken upstream. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've once these pieces of plastic are set down, they really just start to migrate everywhere. There have been more studies on this in Sweden as well. And Swedish authorities estimate that a large athletic field can lose two to three tons of its infill every year. Whoa, two to three tons every year? So if you have like every year. Okay. Yeah. And part of the maintenance of an artificial turf field is to fill that turf, fill that infill back in. So it just, it just keeps going. And if you think about how there's mountains of turf building up that aren't being recycled and nothing's being done with, those are losing their infill to the environment as well. Probably with a much higher rate considering they're in like a half disheveled, you know, like sure there's holes in the turf. Yeah. Yeah. Not being maintained. Definitely. I read some terrible statistic or I heard some terrible statistic the other day that we eat like a credit card's worth of microplastic like a week or something like that or like consume it. It was just, it was just this, you know, this terrible, like really visual, you know, impact of kind of like plastics in our world. And I don't know if that's true. Don't quote me on that. Like just, just think, I'm sure some element, you know, somewhere in there, there is a number that is accurate, but just the visual of a credit card with plastic, you know, passing through your body and into the system and everything we eat. It just was very mm-hmm. eye-opening. Yeah, I've, that is a very disturbing statistic. And I've also heard that they're finding microplastics in wilderness areas that humans can't even reach and then finding it in the umbilical cords of newborn babies as well. So microplastics are really getting everywhere, no matter what we're doing. And the fact that artificial turf fields and lawns are contributing so much to that is pretty big concern. Yeah. Well, maybe we should switch from a less depressing element (laughs) of artificial turf, but tell me about pet waste, a pet waste and artificial turf. Sure. Yeah. So pet waste comes up a lot when homeowners are considering whether to install an artificial turf lawn. And some companies have really tried to create artificial turf that can drain pet waste well or has infill that can combat the bacteria and break down the elements very well. But ultimately, that pet waste will build up in some capacity and will need to be rinsed off, contributing to more water use, and at times will need to be fully sanitized. So you'll have to vacuum out the infill and apply a special cleaner to get it fully clean. And I just, I think this is a lot of work compared to what natural grass and the elements naturally will do with pet waste. But there are, there are some advances being made with this stuff. So some people do choose it for their lawn. Hmm. So, so basically it's, it's really just needs to be cleaned and replaced at a much higher rate for the pet waste for it not to create some kind of public health concern essentially yeah exactly and so I and I oh sorry no, go ahead. please go ahead mm-hmm. I also dug a little bit into this but did not include it in my report 
there are some concerns about does artificial turf hold on to bacteria and spread it more than natural grass does. And there were some studies that said, yes, that like an artificial turf field can spread certain bacteria like MRSA. There are a couple instances that players spread it amongst themselves after working out on artificial turf. But then there are also studies that combated that. So it's it's hard to know with a lot of this artificial turf research, but there's definitely some concerns that have been raised hmm. and keep That's coming interesting. up. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit then about cost comparison. So we talked a little bit, it's 450 to 1050 a square foot for an artificial turf. You know, we've got lawn that's 60 cents to $5 an acre a square foot as cost comparisons. Did you look at you know, just between grass and, and artificial turf, did you look at, and I'm thinking kind of more on like the the residential side of this probably, but like cost comparisons to other like low, other alternatives for kind of water-wise landscaping? Yeah, I did do a little bit of that comparison myself and just out of curiosity. So regular natural turf can be pretty cheap to install. And that's why it's been pretty ubiquitous, even out here in the West. And water-wise landscapes can be quite a bit more. They can cost around the same as an artificial turf grass lawn. So artificial turf grass lawn can be about $10,000 to install. But an artificial grass lawn has a lifespan of 8 to 10 years And water-wise landscaping can have a lifespan of 20 or more years. So I did that cost comparison and found it pretty interesting. But I also find that water-wise landscaping can be even cheaper, especially recently, if homeowners are able to take advantage of local rebates for turf replacement. That can really bring the cost down quite significantly. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that here in the state of Utah, at least, we've put a ton of funding into rebates and, and flip your strip programs, and yeah. that's definitely been a key focus of kind of our municipal conservation component here in the state recently. And so, there's a lot of money out there right now that would reduce those costs. Yeah, yeah, and they keep allocating more and more each year, so it's definitely something that the state is putting a lot of money towards and hoping to encourage. Mm-hmm. So then, I mean, enlisting these pros and cons, <laughs> which, you know, and if we don't want to malign the the artificial turf industry, like I walk away from this conversation, you know, really being like, wow, this maybe is not a very good choice for us. <laughs> what are like, you know, having spent a fair amount of your, your time on this project and kind of, you know, really done a deep dive into a bunch of really interesting aspects of this topic, what is kind of your takeaway? Like what did, you know, when you think about this project and you think about, you know, how you want to explain it to people or, or how it fits into kind of your broader portfolio of work, like how, you know, what is your ultimate consensus on, on this as an option? I walk away with, from this research with a lot of concerns, especially after all we've talked about, but I can see how artificial turf would apply well in certain situations. 
Like in athletic fields, there's definitely applications where it can extend playing time. Or in places like Arizona, I actually have a coworker who told me a little bit guiltily after she read this. <laughs> she said, I have artificial turf, but it just makes sense for me here. So I, I don't feel too bad about it. And I think there are certain instances where it can be the right investment. Maybe your space has a concrete slab and you would rather have an artificial turf mat down instead of a concrete slab. Mm -hmm. That would be a really great use for it. But in terms of water conservation, especially with athletic fields requiring so much water to cool it down or maintain it, or especially for me, it's really the groundwater recharge aspect, the fact that it can block that, that's that's a big concern for me, especially from all my work that I do on waterwise landscaping and turf replacement rebate programs. I just know that there are many very attractive native options that ranging from different kinds of turf grasses that require one day of watering or less per week to beautiful gardens full of native plants. I just think those are really great options for us out here, especially because they can create pollinator habitat and continue to provide environmental benefits. So for me, I'm going team natural, <laughs> but I did, I did really try to bring an open mind to this because it is a really big growing industry and I wanted to examine all sides of it. Well, Chelsea, I think you did a great job of that. I mean, this has been really, really insightful and you, you've learned a lot about some really interesting concepts or kind of interesting aspects. Of, of this industry that honestly I hadn't really even thought about. I mean, like the life cycle, obviously now that you talk about it, you're like, oh, well, that makes total sense, you know, yeah. but it seems like you did a really good deep dive. And so it's kind of a fun, fun. I don't know if that's quite the right word. It <laughs> <laughs> was fun for me. So I yeah. would agree. <laughs> yeah. A fun project to work on. So, yeah. Well, unless you have anything else you want to add in that we didn't get a chance to talk about, this has been a really interesting conversation and I so appreciate all your expertise and, and, you know, work on this and kind of bringing this discussion to light. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you having me on and, and chatting with you about it. I guess one thing I'm a bit curious about just personally, what got you so interested from your side in this report and thinking about artificial turf? You know, that's funny. So I'm from Wyoming originally. And so we, and I played soccer in high school. And so we, I mean, didn't play on a field until like April, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we had to like drive our bus like four hours, like the closest town to like play our first game on, on a field. And so, you know, that was just kind of like part of being a teenager, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And yeah. we, in my hometown just recently installed a, artificial turf field. And I have a good friend who still lives there who's on a soccer team and she was so excited about it. And it just kind of got me thinking about it. And she and I actually had a, a discussion about turf and she, we just had a discussion about it actually. And kind of, I started kind of doing a little research about it because I thought it was, it just hadn't really occurred to me as an option, honestly, like, as, mm -hmm. oh yeah, that's an option, I guess nowadays. And then when your report popped up on LinkedIn, I was like, oh, I, I'm honestly and sincerely curious about this because 
I, I see it popping up around me. You know, I think that they just replaced mm-hmm. a couple of the fields and some of the high schools around where I'm at with artificial turf. And so I just physically see it becoming much more prevalent. And so that's really why I was like, I didn't know much about it. And I wanted to kind of learn a little bit more. And I think there are probably other people in that same position. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. It's becoming more and more to my awareness too. Like when I take walks around my neighborhood, I'll see it on the art, on the athletic fields or in the playgrounds where all the kids are. And yeah. After knowing what I know now, I'm a little bit concerned, but yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's fun to think about. Knowledge is power. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Well, Chelsea, yeah. you are welcome back anytime you want. If you have another oh, project thanks. you're working on or some other program, we would love to have you. We always love having smart, articulate guests on. And, and this oh, is, thanks. you're doing good work. So <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah. And, and my team also has been doing some work in Utah recently with the Growing Water Smart program. So if you ever want to talk about that, love to chat with you about that too. I will, because I don't have one scheduled for that yet. And that'd be a great project. Great. I'm writing yeah. that down actually. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, Chelsea, wish you, wish you best of luck and we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thanks.